and, and this little girl uh, said, what's this man going up to the front for? He said, well, he's the preacher. He's going to preach. And what's that big black book he's got? He said, that's the Bible. There's going to be a reading from the Bible. And she said, oh, what's all those bits of paper? She said, well, that's the notes. He's going to be preaching and giving a message from the reading. And then she said, but why is he taking his watch off? And she replied, that means nothing, dear. <laughs> I just warn you now. Uh, we, we, had, we had the reading from, uh, it's, it's, it was deliberate, we've had the reading from Matthew, the, the story of the, with the fig tree and the cleansing of the temple. But what I'm going to do, I'm going to go through Mark's Gospel as we open up the Scriptures. Um, and we're going to, we can have the PowerPoint on, please. We're going to have uh, the story first, because it's reversed in Mark's Gospel. It's the cursing of the fig tree. I was really, really looking forward to preaching on Palm Sunday, because when Ewan gave me the dates... I saw that Palm Sunday was free. I thought, I can do Palm Sunday. The, the, the palms, the celebration. Oh, what a great... I love Easter. Don't you love Easter? Yeah. I, I, I love Easter. My, my last church, uh, when I was doing a proper minister's job, um, it was multicultural church. In my last five years, we had 46 nationalities in the church. And Christmas, it didn't really do much for them. But Easter, they would turn out. All the West Indians would get dressed up. It was a great occasion to come. I was really looking forward to coming to preach on Palm Sunday. And then Ewan says, I've chosen your text. You've got the parable of the withered fig tree. <laughs> Can I change it? No. Okay. So, as you know, last time I came, I brought an illustration. So, we're going to do that again. Um, this. I, I thought... I went into a garden centre and I went to buy a fig tree. And then I had this huge, great fig tree. I am talking, it was a massive fig tree. And he said, you can have this one back for 350. <laughs> and he said, but you have to arrange your own crane and lorry to get it to your garden. And I said, no, can I have something a bit smaller? And so he took me to these other fig trees. And they're all about 12 foot tall. And, he, and I said, I only want it for a, a sermon illustration. He said, a what? I said, a sermon illustration. He said, well... What do you mean a sermon in it? So I explained about the, the cursed fig tree. And he said, look, I've got just the fig tree. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I know it already looks cursed. So please don't curse it anymore. The thing is, I don't even really like figs. <laughs> but I'm going to have to try and plant this out. But in our passage, uh, we have a point where Jesus actually kills a fig tree. So if this one dies, I feel a lot better. <laughs> it doesn't worry me so much. But in our passage, Jesus is approaching a fig tree and he's entering the temple. And what Jesus is doing is using it as an illustration, uh, a metaphor, to what he's going to find in the temple courts. In approaching the fig tree and coming to the temple courts, his assessment is exactly the same. His concern is the same. What he sees in the fig tree, or what he does not see in the fig tree, shows to the disciples what he thinks and feels, what he sees in the temple. And what Jesus is doing in this whole parable 
it's the assessment of the lack of spiritual vitality in the Judaism of the day. He's making an assessment of religion that goes bad. So when he goes to the fig tree and he finds there's no fruit, it becomes a picture of a barren temple. The fact that they are approaching God in the way that were was broken. And what happens in this passage is Jesus' own autopsy of lifeless religion. And you know the danger of this parable, and you know this is the only destructive parable in the Gospels. The danger of this parable is that it's relevant for us today as it was then. And as Jesus comes into the room this morning, and he's going to look at us and ask the same question, and look into our hearts as people and assess our own spiritual health. What would he determine the spiritual health in your heart and life to be? What would he say to you? What would be the litmus test? What would be the assessment if he came before you today? See, in this passage where Jesus gives this autopsy of lifeless religion, he gives us an alert of what he's actually looking for in his people. And he's looking at it. And here it is. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went out to find it if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. And he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit of you from you again. And the disciples heard it and heard him say it. The first uh, assessment... Here we go, sir. Lifeless religion only looks healthy from a distance. Now it's interesting here that Jesus, finding no fruit on the tree, what does he do? He says, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And Mark adds... And the disciples heard it. You bet they did. You've got to think, there they are, they're walking along with Jesus, Jesus sees a fig tree in the, in the distance, and he goes up to the fig tree, and the next thing they know, Jesus is turning to the fig tree and going, Die! <laughs> you can imagine what the disciples are thinking at this point. Oh, this is going to be a fun one. Oh, you know, because Jesus, the Jesus we know, well, he heals people. He, he raises the dead. He turns water into the wine. He is not the Jesus that has the habit of going around someone else's fig tree and telling it to die. It's so shocking to the disciples. It's somewhat shocking to us because the way that this passage is written. Because he says... Mark says, he found nothing but leaves. And Mark then adds, it was not the season for figs. Strange? So you see, Jesus, who's loving, compassionate, caring and gracious, comes up to a fig tree when it's not the season for figs, and he gets upset because there isn't any figs. And you're saying, wait, he curses a tree that isn't meant to be in fig. That's not cool. And yet, we don't understand fully the picture about fig trees. Fig trees are actually quite prolific in Israel, if you've ever been out there. Uh, I've got a picture of a a mature uh, fig tree. There is. They're quite big, as you can imagine. You can see it from a distance. They can grow uh, about 20 feet tall, 20 feet wide. And what happens in the spring of the year, they will come to leaf. And mine is... Yeah, there is a leaf there. Um... Oops, I've probably just killed it. Um, <laughs> uh, 
there's a leaf there, and uh, it comes to leaf, and Jesus is moving towards this tree that is actually in leaf. But also, as well as the leaves, you will find these buds. And if you want to look at, I'm really proud of my fig tree now, there's, there's little buds there. And uh, apparently, this little nub at the end of the branch would be usually on the tree, and a traveller can still eat that. I am not going to eat it, okay? Because it's supposed to be quite bitter, but it is edible. And uh, if you're hungry, it's better than nothing. But when Jesus approaches this particular tree, there, there, was, there was nothing there. There wasn't even the buds. And so he's not really being vindictive and mean when he curses the tree for not having what it's meant to have. What he's looking for is this little fruit to sustain him on the journey. When he doesn't find it, he realises, actually, something has gone wrong. There's a problem with the tree. The tree is either diseased or dead on the inside. It's not manifest on the outside yet. And Jesus sees this as a hallmark of temple worship. Because at the time, it's coming up to the time of Passover, hundreds and thousands of people were coming into Jerusalem for the great celebration. From a distance, it looked great. But Jesus realised that this is one of the hallmarks, that actually the worship was not great. It has all the hallmarks of health and spiritual vitality. There's a lot going there. People are coming and going. There's lots of transactions. People are sacrificing their animals. And Jesus says, it looks okay on the surface. But at a distance, it looks okay. But what about beneath the surface? It's a warning It's a warning that can happen into our lives. Because Jesus isn't just talking uh, about a tree or the temple. This is the point where he's getting face-to-face with us in our own personal lives. You and me, facing us up and saying, how is your health spiritually? Or are you projecting a certain relationship with God or a depth to your spiritual walk that is actually absent under the surface? It is a warning that we find multiple times in the New Testament in different forms. In fact, if you read Revelation and chapter 3, verse 1, we have this picture of Jesus walking amongst the churches. And it says this, In Revelation, I know your deeds, but you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. It's an autopsy of lifeless religion. He gives this uh, autopsy, and he sees that they are dead. There's lots of things going on. On the surface, but underneath, there was nothing. Perhaps you know those people who project that. Do you know Mr. Christian? Do you know the one? Uh, Has all the Christian t-shirts, lots and lots of Christian music, has multiple uh, multicoloured Bibles, knows all the best Bible jokes. Uh, You know Mr. Christian, you've met them at work or in the neighbourhood. They're the sort of person you think immediately, ooh, they'll make a great leader for our church. You know the ones that are always there on a Sunday, first people there with the family, family so well behaved, always immaculately dressed, all with their Bibles open and praying. But then you actually get alongside them, you get to know them, and you wonder, actually, is that all surface? What's actually down beneath it all? In one of my churches, we had a professor that everyone really looked looked up to. Um, and from a, from a distance, he was healthy and vitality in the Christian faith. They looked up to him. He, he, was a, he was a great person to meet on a Sunday. But as you get closer and closer to know him, you realise, actually, that wasn't the person. The person you see on a Sunday isn't the person you see in the rest of the week. He actually went and he, he left the church and went elsewhere. 
and I had an occasion to go into his department at the university and I just dropped his name into conversation. Oh, I know someone who was here, Professor, and mentioned his name. And they turned around and said, Oh, goodness me. Oh, he was a terrible person to work for. Uh, he did this and he did that. He was a bully. And, and you are shocked in one, on one level. But it, it's a, here's a, a question, Jesus' concern. What about us? Are we the same people that we are on a Sunday where we are elsewhere, the rest of the week? We may be known for our church attendance, our generosity or our passionate worship. But do they actually have reality in them? Just like the leaves seen from a distance, it can be really scary about the truth regarding lifeless religion because lifeless religion thrives underneath. It thrives under the surface. It, it seeks not to be seen. And so you don't want to get people close to you because they might see a different person. That's what happens if lifeless religion is harboured in our lives over a period of time. Well, we become very shallow and we can't stand the storms of life. If I was to take this tree home and just really, just really sit it on the grass uh, on our lawn and hope it will grow and a big storm came along, if I hadn't staked it out, it's going to just get blown over. Or if I don't look after it, things will drop off it. Not as if there's much to drop off at the moment. <laughs> but, you know, are we prepared to look at our lives? It's not only that, it, you'll stop growing. And if you harbour lifeless religion, growth and vitality just stops. If I stop watering and I stop caring for this fig tree, it will not only stop growing, it will die. It might, you might think, actually, I, I'm okay, I want to just remain stagnant just where I am. Uh, but you don't. You never stay where you are. You will always go backwards because Jesus goes forwards. If we want to grow, we've got a choice. How do we want to grow with Jesus? Or we shrivel up. Some of you come to church and leave the church say, well, I didn't get much of out of it today. Oh, you know, that worship group, those, those hymns, oh, they weren't great today. Uh, I didn't get much out of that. Oh, but is it the songs or is it me? Because if you're in a, a point of lifeless religion and there isn't that life in your life, then you don't, you can't work in a place where there's so much nutrients taking place. It's interesting that if you put a healthy tree, if I put that into the ground, it will search for life. It will search for the nutrients. It will suck out all it can to enable it to grow. But if this tree was actually dead and I put it into the ground, nothing would happen. Jesus says the danger of lifeless religion is it dries you up. It prevents you growing in the purposes of God. Healthy from a distance, diseased up close. This is an autopsy of lifeless religion. You might be saying, hey Nigel, what's this got to do with Palm Sunday? Well, on Palm Sunday, they came and they offered their praises. Hosanna to the son of David, they called. Praise be to Jesus. They offered their worship. They laid down the palms in front of him. And, but Jesus saw through that. He saw the lifeless religion because he knew, and we see, that the same people who were there on Palm Sunday at the end of the week were shouting, Barabbas! Release Barabbas! This is the first danger, danger of lifeless religion. The other, the other is actually lifeless religion doesn't produce any fruit. After seeing uh, the, the fig tree in a distance, 
He went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. It's important for us to know that this parable is actually a continuation of another parable in Luke 13. And he says there, Then he told them a parable. A man had a fig tree growing in the vineyard, and he went out to look for fruit on it, but could not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree, but have not found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up all the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it, fertilise it. If it bears no uh, fruit next year, fine, I'll cut it down. You see, Jesus had been waiting for a change in his ministry, and it hadn't taken place. He'd done his assessment of Judaism. There was no repentance, there was no change, there was no forward motion. In fact, they were going backwards. And now in our parable, he's saying, cut it down. It's not producing fruit. And that's a hallmark of lifeless religion, than when we don't bear fruit. I was just speaking to uh, someone recently, um, uh, uh, a minister of a church, and he said, he's got an issue in his church. And he said, the issue is that one of the leaders of his church, his, his wife doesn't seem to be bearing any fruit. And, uh, and I said, um, what makes you think that? They said, well, she doesn't come to church very often now, just every, every now and again, and, and, and everything that she does and says, it doesn't seem to be bearing any of the fruit of Jesus. And, and, and then he said, and then the following, the previous Sunday, he said there was a church member, uh, let's call her uh, Isabel. Uh, Isabel decided to bring a non-Christian along to the church. And he said, uh, the, the non-Christian, after a lot of prayer, a lot of persuading, came along to the church and sat in the chair with Isabel. And uh, she looked up and she saw this other lady there. And she said, what, she a Christian? She said, yes, yeah. so this this lady then got up and walked out. And Isabel chased after her and said, what's wrong, what's wrong? She said, I parked outside her house this week and I just got a torrent of abuse and bad language for parking outside her house. How can she possibly be a Christian? If that's what a being Christian is, then I do not want to know. Time has passed and all has been revealed that the temple worship was bankrupt of any virtual life. It's interesting what James writes uh, in James 2. So also faith itself, if it does not have works, is dead. James' point here is not saying that uh, work saves. He's saying that saving faith works. When people have experienced the power of God and faith is vibrant and you're walking with God in a way that you should... His, uh, and wanting to see his plan and his purpose take place and be accomplished within you, then it will manifest on the inside and on the outside. In your life, uh, you'll, be, you'll be seeing change in your life. Fruit makes that difference. All those things that used to entangle you, your, thought, your thoughts and all the addictions of the past, all those things that used to get you knotted up, don't get you knotted up anymore. There are things that you didn't even notice now. You've been walking with God for years and you look around and you say, do you know what, I don't struggle with that anymore. Fruit. You look at your life and you think, I've become more generous in my life. Fruit. You've become more peaceful and more gracious. Fruit. Fruit. Fruit of the Spirit. It's there. Joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, thoughtfulness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. And we look at our lives and 
God wants to see that fruit being developed and nurtured. So this will not become figless, but full of figs. He's looking for fruit that makes a difference. Not just from afar, but up close as well. I'm going to ask you a question now. Um, How many of you, uh, I mean, it's going to take you back, how many of you can remember banking checks? (laughs) We see less and less of them nowadays, don't we? Um, This this illustration is thanks to my friend Andrew, who who gave me this. Uh, There we are, a banking check. Written out to Nigel Manchester, £484, signed Matt Bradley, look. Isn't he generous? I could do that, I knew he wasn't going to be here today. <laughs> but what's, what's wrong with that cheque? Yeah, the words and the figures are different. And in the olden days, apparently, there used to be people in the banks who used to go through every single cheque to make sure the signature was right, uh, the, the date was right, but also that the figure and the words matched up. And uh, if they didn't, they used to have to write in red at the top, words and figs differ. Are you starting to get it? (laughs) To our words and our figures, our figs, our fruit, match up. The things that we say, the things that we do, does it match up? Are you wanting to change and become more like Jesus? The danger is we find ourselves comfortable in a comfortable place. And it's very dangerous to just be content standing in one place. And you can say, actually, I'm I'm good here. I don't need to be pushed to go any further. And what's happening at that is that, that your fruit is drying up. If you're the same in your spiritual journey as you were a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, that starts to become the hallmark of a lifeless religion. The Apostle Paul echoes this. And he says, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves or do you not realise about yourself, about Jesus Christ in you, unless, of course, you fail the test. And what is the challenge here? Is to look under the bonnet, look at our lives and see if there is growth. Am I producing fruit? Am I allowing Jesus to be a part of my life? Jesus says, my autopsy of religion is that it does not look healthy, it only looks healthy at a distance, but clo- and it is disease, but it does not produce any fruit. The third is that lifeless religion can easily become a haven for what God hates. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. Do you know, this is one occasion I wish I was there. I did, don't, don't you? Wouldn't you love to have seen this? Uh, they're driving them out and uh, all those who are buying and selling that he overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches and those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple court and he taught them, he said is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations but you have made it a den of robbers have you ever stopped and thought about that last phrase but you have made it a den of robbers and Jesus is saying Do you know what? You've got the entire planet, the whole world, the whole world to make it your criminal lair. But what do you choose? You choose the most holy place the Jews knew. There, right in the temple courts. This is what lifeless religion produces. 
takes what was dedicated to God and changes to be dedicated to man. It has a corrupting effect. This happened all because of Caiaphas. Caiaphas, about 25, 30 years previously, saw that by inviting the merchants and the money changers into the temple courts, Caiaphas uh, could gain a bit of personal enrichment. The high priest could earn a bit more money. And it would drive up the price of sacrificial lambs, it would, the exchange rates for the temple taxes would go up, and it all goes in their pocket, in the temple courts. The temple tax had to be paid with a temple shekel. So you would take your shekel and exchange it for a temple shekel. So you can imagine, you know, who controlled the exchange rates. When uh, Caiaphas wanted to drive up the rate, so you would bring your lamb or your dove into the place, and the priest will take one look at it and go, hmm, slight blemish on that, you can't use that one. We'll buy it off you at a lower rate. You will have to buy one of these unblemished lambs or, or doves. Again, pushing up the rate. And this is what's so sad, where Mark points out in verse 15, you overturn the ta- tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. This is so significant. Because Mark showed that Jesus turned over the tables of the poorest of the poor. Because if you were really poor, you didn't have much money, the only thing you could buy was the doves. So they were exploiting the poorest of the poor. What lifeless religion shows about, it's about pride. It says worship is all about me, it's about my personal enrichment, it's about what I can get out of it. Uh, That's why worship makes sense, because it's about me. It becomes my comfort, my preference, my desire. It's conducive to my schedule. The religion becomes all about me. And here it was, pride, centred. And tragically, Scripture tells us time and time again, when pride is there, God is distant. James, God opposes the proud, gives gives grace to the humble. Even the psalmist in the Old Testament wrote, though the Lord is great, he cares for the humble but keeps distant from the proud. Where pride is allowed to enter the worship, where it finds harbour in your life, it becomes a wedge between us and the intimacy of God. Because why? Because worship terminates on me. Instead of doing what worship should do, bringing God the glory, the honour, the praise, and draw us close to him. The pinnacle of Jesus' disappointment was isn't just about pride. It says he taught them and he said, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. You see, they, the people of Jew, the Jews believed that when the Messiah would come, he will cleanse the temple. He will get rid of all these Gentiles. He will be just for the, the Jews alone. This will be the place where everyone can come who really mattered to God. And yet, in Isaiah 56, we are told there is coming a day, an incorporated time, when all people who were not Jewish will be belong to the family of God. And so Jesus here was so disappointed. He's saying, you've missed it, my friends. He said, this gospel is for the whole world. Lifeless religion excludes and isolates, but Jesus says, I don't. I welcome I died on the cross that everyone should believe. My desire is that you, you can bring new people to see what has been created. But Jesus says, 
You've got to call out to reach to all the gospel. Why? For God so loved the world that he gave us his only son, that whoever believes him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So if you think you come on a morning, this is for an exclusive view, it's not. The good news, it's not. Everyone is invited. Everyone is welcome. doesn't matter where you come from, where you're going to. Jesus says, come and stand with me because I want to stand with you. I want to stand with you because I want a relationship with you today. Why? Because my house of prayer should be called a house for all nations, for all people. Jesus says, lifeless religion excludes people. I want to welcome people. That's why I died on the cross. And the great joy is that we know the end of the story of a resurrected Lord. He's talking to us this morning for allowing us to turn back to him, to be close to him and allow him to speak into our lives. And at the beginning of this holy week, uh, the, the request is simple, focus on Jesus. And we have a, there is an opportunity to do this in the holy week, to go through the scriptures, read again the Easter story and allow it to speak into your life so that we will, we will not be fruitless but fruitful, that we will not be just healthy at a distance, but healthy close up as well. So that we can be filled with all the fruit and that we can this week remind ourselves of the grace and love of God and ask that the fruit may grow. Amen. Shall we pray? Father God, we just want to thank you for uh, Jesus. We want to thank you for the way that uh, they, they came and they celebrated as, they, as Jesus entered Jerusalem and the palm branches and the singing of Hosanna to the son of David. We know at the time Jesus could see through that and know that they would be shouting Barabbas, Barabbas. But Lord, we just pray that our worship may be acceptable, not only from a distance, but from, uh, from an ear as well. That what's in our hearts really matters. And we just pray, Father, that uh, we, you may speak into our lives where we feel that we've been finding you at a distance. We know that if, if you are distant to us, it's not because you have moved, it's because we have moved. And we just pray, Lord, that you enable us to move closer to you so that we may be fruitful, that we may have all the things that are, you would want us to have in our lives, those things that, that matter, the love and the joy, the peace and the patience and the kindness, the goodness, the gentleness and the self-control. Lord, help us to be the people you want us to be so that we can not only be fruitful, that others can see uh, not only the leads, but the fruit from a distance and a near, and that we can be used by you. Lord, speak into our lives, we pray. For we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Oh,